As tongue-in-cheek as the title sounds, it accurately captures the fawning tone of this jokey self-portrait, the sense that Cage is in fact starring in a love letter to himself. A.A. Dowd of Digital Trends talking about our featured review, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent Starring Nick Cage. That's our new movie this week, our old movie, going way back to Mel Brooks. Yes, one of the great comic auteurs of all time. High Anxiety, his spoof of Hitchcock films. No, it's not as great as Blazing Saddles or Young Frankenstein, but I'd never seen it before. And most impressively, Cody also watched High Anxiety. That's right. And I know Alfred Hitchcock a little bit, you know, I knew the shower scenes, I know birds. Yes. So like I was kind of, you might, those are the main ones I know. So you might have to fill me in if there were other references, but I got those. Oh, dude, the shower scene is the best part of the movie. I, I was dying when I saw it. I think that was incredible. I wish the rest of the movie was as funny as that, but it was still great. Uh, and as far as our new this week, no, no, that, is, that is the new and the old, obviously. As far as the wild card is concerned, had to take a break from authors. I mean, three straight authors. I mean, Cody, do you know anybody reading more than me? Right now, do you know anybody reading more than me? <laughs> no. I'm always like, wow, you actually, like, because it's so obvious when you do an interview that you've read the book. I'm like, it's just impressive how much reading you've done. Do I you always it. read this much? Or are you doing No, this is just for the podcast. Like, people are like, oh, I can't believe a movie podcast. You must watch, like, a movie a day. I'm like, no, actually, I'm reading a book a week, and I'm maybe getting in two movies a week. Like, I just, I'm, it's like 90-10 reading to movies. It's like homework for you at this point. Oh, yeah, exactly. I get a pound through. By the way, next week, we'll have an author on. Might as well plug it. My Place in the Sun. George Stevens Jr., Life in the Golden Age of Hollywood and Washington. Cody can see the book I'm holding up right now. It's like 480 pages. Incredible. Oh, like, well, send your free book, but you have to interview the guy. Go, that is right, girthy. That's a girthy yeah, book. There's a lot of girth here. Um, yeah. As far as our guest today, though, as far as the uh, wild card is concerned, Mark Ellis is going to join us from Rotten Tomatoes. Of course, it is the go-to website. If you're a movie fan, you always want to check, hey, what's Rotten Tomatoes saying? What's the Rotten Tomato? So he's going to give us uh, the latest on Rotten Tomatoes, when the you, website, and of course, a summer movie preview. When you're about to talk to another, you know, movie savant, a guy yeah. that's in that, that might have your chops when it comes to movies do you like to up your game in terms of just like the kind of you know make it make sure he knows right away okay this guy knows his shit i probably tell myself not to but then it just comes out i'm like right. hey, listen, like don't don't need to showboat here just like come in right. naturally right. but then naturally there's a little bit of juice you like, reference a random a movie you're yes. like it was directed by this guy written by this yes. guy that, i think right. they were nominated that you're like flexing right there on yes. the guy. Yeah, like i'm it. waiting in the 100 meter blocks willing to just jump in there right yes away. i love it speaking of flexing i gotta mention this the offer, which uh, we're recording this on Friday, was just released on Paramount+. Plus. This is a 10-part series about the making of arguably the greatest film of all time, The Godfather. Now, originally was going to start Army Hammer, and then he became a cannibal and has got some other issues. <laughs> so my man Miles Teller came in. Miles Teller, huge Eagles guy. Speaking of the Eagles, A.J. Brown, let's go. Howie yes. Roseman has screwed up the draft so many times with regards to receivers. Oh, we're going to miss on Justin Jefferson. We're going to miss on D.K. Metcalf. A.J. Brown, $100 million. Let's go. What are the Titans doing? They just didn't want to pay him, I guess? Yeah. That was He's weird. got one year left. We're not going to pay him. Great. We'll give him $100 million, 57 guarantee. We have one of the best receivers in football. What receiver are you going to pay if you're not going to pay that guy? He's a beast. I mean, I guess he has injury issues, but I, I I'm, I'm with you. The, that's a big trade for the Eagles. Yeah, that was stunning. Um, anyways, Miles Teller, big Eagles guy. So he is now starring in The Offer. So Paramount reached out to me a couple weeks ago. Hey, we know you're a big Godfather guy. We'll send you this. And I go, oh, my God. So this week, talk about this flex. It's being released. Like, you're listening to this on Tuesday. It was released a few days ago. I've already seen the whole thing. 
<laughs> and all they released on Friday was three episodes. And then yes. each week you're getting a subsequent episode. I've watched all 10 episodes. My wife loves The Godfather as much as I do. So this has been our week. Put the kids to bed. Let's watch The Offer. Let's watch The Offer. More oh. on The Godfather. It is spectacular. We'll do a full review, of course, in a couple of weeks. Yeah. I want to wait for everyone to kind of catch up a little bit. Yes. Like we did with Winning Time. It debuted, and then we waited until we'd seen a yep. bunch of episodes. But let me just, that's a serious flex by me. I've already seen all 10 episodes of The <laughs> Offer, and it's absolutely brilliant. And speaking of more flexing, I'm telling you right now, we're pretty close on Judd Apatow. His people reached out and they said, we're, they already sent me the book, Sicker the Head, which is now available, hilarious, and the George Carlin documentary. So I've been dying for this. Carlin's one of my favorite comedians. It's debuting at HBO, I believe, May 20th. So they want the interview around there. Fingers crossed, Judd Apatow, we're going to have him here on Cinephile. I know Chris wants to talk about 40 year old virgin, knocked yeah. up him. There's tons of stuff we're going to It's like if we were fishing, we have him on the line. He's oh, bit. Yes. But he's really heavy, and we our line might break. Like I feel like that's where we are with him right now. That's a great analogy. Like it's there. Like the, you know, I watched, and by the way, the documentary is two parts, four hours. I watched the first hour so far. It's fabulous. So I, I mean, as long as as long as they don't realize that you did not watch the bubble, we should be okay. Right. Because there's nothing else can trip us up right now. Like no, this I didn't even see the bubble. The, yeah, I didn't yeah. see it. That's a good yeah, point. Exactly. I never even so, saw it, so I don't have any opinion on it. Are you going to mention my headphones to the audience? Are you yeah. Gonna so paint right this now picture? you have headphones. You have bunny headphones. This is post Easter. Yeah. This is obviously your daughter's. I'm doing this from home today, and I left my headphones at the studio, so I was scrambling, and I want a feedback situation. So I was like, Daddy needs headphones. So, honey, can I see your <laughs> – can I borrow those bunny headphones for a second? I think I look good, honestly. I might just start rocking them every show. I think that could be the title for this week, just bunny headphones. <laughs> yeah. But, but speaking of, we went from the best ever title you had, Working no, Blue with Adam Amber, to probably the worst one. No, like this you, one was a good No, it was awful. People text me, they're like, yeah, you talk about movies, right? Like, you're a serious film critic. You talk about yeah. actual films and stuff. Yeah. Why on earth is that the subject thing? I go, what do you mean? The subject thing that Chris Curry came up with? People are concerned about how often Adnan urinates. I, I That's going to bring people in. Everything, everywhere, all at once <laughs> is one of the great films of the year. It's a fabulous film story, Michelle Yeoh. We did a deep dive of the 30th anniversary of Unforgiven, and instead the headline is, how much is the host but, being? And you but, texted me, and I go, no, no. I go, it's funny. It's a little long. Nah. And go, the, other, the other option is butt plug spoiler alert. I go, that's definitely not good. How about <laughs> the? I go, how about would you kill a man for thirty-two grand? The legacy of Unforgiven. No response by you. And then I go, I've got it. The Duck of Death. Again, yeah. no response by you. I had to wait till the pod was released. I go, okay, clearly ignored both of my yep. suggestions. I had to push through with this one. No pun intended. I swear, <laughs> I'm telling you, this was a good one. I I know funny. And funny, everyone knows that you do good movie reviews. I'm telling you, we're getting a few, there's a few extra people that are yeah. clicking on that because they're like, I got. I don't know what they're talking about. I got to click on this. Like, I'm telling you, I got an extra four downloads because of that headline. I'm telling you. <laughs> okay. You're right, though. It might, maybe not my best work. But I, I just like to be, I like to grab people. I feel like with just movie titles and stuff, we can kind of lose people. Like, I like to, I yeah. want people to, like, do a double take. Like, what's that title? Oh. I, I hear what you're going for. I'm just I'm giving you my own unsolicited feedback. I yeah. didn't think it was one of your best. Yeah. Having said that, before we get into the movies, I did want to ask you, because somebody asked me the other day, they go, what do you think, you know, you have a, a movie podcast, you talk entertainment. I said, well, it's a movie podcast, I don't I talk entertainment. Are we going to ask you about the Grammys or something? I go, no, no, I want to ask you your thoughts on the Johnny Depp, Amber Heard situation. Ooh. I go, well, okay, listen, I don't really dive into that stuff, but my wife does. She loves People Magazine, she's all over that stuff. So here's all I know, and then you tell me what you know. Because all I knew was that, okay, they obviously had a horrific marriage and abusive and all this, and she's accused him of heinous activity. And apparently, this is my understanding, at least in the court public opinion right now, the, the tide, the pendulum is shifting a little bit because Depp is coming out a little bit better. She's looking like she's a loon. Well, I'm only, I'm like you. I don't really know the full details of all of this. So like, I, it's tough to really comment, but I'm seeing clips. 
of Johnny Depp, and it looks like he's acting in a role. Like he's playing a role of a guy on the stand, and he's just absolutely crushing it. He's like kind of, he has this like sarcastic tone where he's like kind of, he's talking about fecal matter on the bed. Apparently, someone crapped on a bed, and like she said it was a dog. He claims it's her. There's some weird stuff. Text messages are being uh, read that Johnny Depp was saying to a friend about his wife that are not nice. Yeah, to Paul so, Bettany, he said he wanted to light her corpse on fire. I'm like, Jesus. Right. They're talking about different uses for throats. Like there, there oh. is some details here, but Johnny's performance is just epic. In like, there's some questions they're asking that are just ridiculous questions, and he, the way the dryness and the slow pace that he's like, kind of mocking them by the way he's answering, it's gold. I mean, I don't know who's right or who's wrong, but mm -hmm. it's these clips that I'm seeing are very entertaining. Yeah, I, my wife's just telling me. Speaking of the topic of urination, she said there's one where the bodyguard is saying, "Did you walk in the house and you saw Mr. Depp?" He's like, "Yep." He's like, "Can you saw him urinating?" He's like, "What? No, no, I, I didn't see that." Like, well, like, like. Amber trying to make him sound like he's a weirdo walking and urinating, and apparently they cut to shut him, and he's like laughing. Like even he's laughing at how ridiculous her suggestions are about his behavior, and like you know he's drawing cartoons and stuff because it's a long legal proceedings. Like it's, <laughs> I wouldn't say he's having a blast, but just from my understanding, it appears that he is coming out a little bit better here in this. He said she right. so seems like yeah. she's. Uh, concocting some of the stuff about him, which, uh, listen, we don't take sides here. It's just been kind of a crazy situation. Before we get into Nicolas Cage, by the way, in his new movie, I did want to ask you, I need your reaction to the Mad Max interview. Normally after the interview is done, like with Klosterman, halfway through you said, this is great. And at the end I go, what'd you think? You go, mm, could have done without Ross Perot. And you cut it out. I go, no, Stan's going to love it. It's gone. Cutting room floor. <laughs> and I go, how about Ralph Nader? Ralph Nader screwed us. This is why we had W as president. You go, I'm not putting it in there. I go, why? You don't want to alienate people? Go, it's not in there. I don't care. I'm not interested. Gone. So yeah. I'm curious, Mad Max interview. I said after, what'd you think? You go, yeah, he was good. So what did you actually think of the interview and what do you think of the movie? I, I thought if you're if you've seen that movie and you enjoy that movie, it's a great interview. I think, you know, if you're casual about that inter that movie, then it might, you know, but that's why we have other things in the episode. Like, you know, it, it's kind of like a, you know, a buffet. If you like okay. Mad Max, you know, listen to that. If you hate Mad Max, maybe fast forward to that interview. Well, what did you think about some of the ideas that were excised from the film? Like about how a bag of semen goes to the guy's door and they're going to impregnate a teenage girl. Oh yeah, for sure. It was interesting. That's what I mean. Like, and even that stuff, like that, that'll get me going, even if I don't like the movie. But that's what I mean. So like, it's yeah, dude. I, I did not. We've had worse interviews. Like I, I did not think it was bad. I thought it was fine. All right. And bottom line is, Sam Watson will always be at the top of our list. So far, we have not had an author higher than Sam Watson. Just because of his hair. No pun intended. <laughs> I still remember at the end of the interview, I was going to say, that was awesome. He goes, I'll come on anytime. I'll have you on next week. I'll bring Coke. Like he was just offering <laughs> cocaine because we had talked about cocaine and Jack yeah. Nicholson and Chinatown. Like Sam Watson. I just, that, who was that? And then there was that interview and then there was the one, maybe it was the same guy. Who's the guy that you did like the intro and you asked the question and he didn't even answer. He's just like, you are great. That was really great. I think it was Sam Watson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was so He's happy. just like, wow. He was, he was so, just like impressed with you. <laughs> yes, he was so grateful to actually have positive feedback. You're right, it was him. I gotta go back and listen to that. That is Watson. really He's great. That I, could, I can't say it better than you did. Like he remember that. Like, <laughs> I do remember that. Well, now we're gonna mention this though, because this is a great off-season, off-air moment. I should say we had the guest. Doesn't matter who it was. The guest was good, but the the PR guy who we thought was pretty good initially, because out of the gate he was talking baseball. So Cody's like, oh, he definitely oh, yeah. knows what I did. He was like, hey, how about the baseball? This is when the locket was still going. Yeah. When's baseball gonna happen? Blah blah. blah. What a guy seems like a nice guy. But we talked a couple minutes. The guest came on. He was great. And at the end, we start kibitzing him a little more. Like, hey, we'll get some other guests from you. And he literally says, all right, boys, I got a dip. And Cody and uh, I were like, all right, put it on the pole. Like that's gotta be one of the more no, no, it wasn't. I got a dip. It was something else. It, it wasn't. Was, I got a bounce. It was. Uh, Damn it. 
It wasn't on. I got a roll. It was it something was, specifically. It was, one of the, it was the most douchiest of these. Like everything you just said is much better than what he actually says. It's like that stereotypical when you want to get off of a meeting and it's like, I got to jump. I think that once was. It was I, jump. You're I right. got to jump. Yeah, he goes, I got to jump. jump. As like, if he has another meeting to get to. Like, we know you didn't have another meeting. You yeah. just like, we had a nice connection. And at the end, you got bored with us and you hit us with like classic professional work term of, hey, guys, I got to jump. It was just so transparent. I'll you tell you where you can jump. Like, oh, I'll tell you where you can jump. This guy. I mean, <laughs> might as well jump. All right. Uh, that's a little soft absorber talking about our best interviews, but it fits perfectly for our feature review because the unbearable weight of massive talent is a pretty self-absorbed movie. It's I'm literally life- looking at a preview of it on my TV right now. Yeah. You watch it as I'm talking because it's literally Nicolas Cage as if Nick Cage was making a movie about all of Nick Cage's movies. So going into this, as I think you know, if you like my uh, my reviews or what I tend to like, I like movies about Hollywood, right? I told you I like The Bubble. Uh, obviously, I love The Larry Sanders Show. I like things that are self-referential. One of Nick Cage's movies that I love most is called adaptation that's a movie about a guy who's playing a screenwriter who then has a twin and all the rest of it but i gotta be honest with you i I will i will i will just be honest out of the gate this was a real disappointment i walked in (laughs) so excited for this movie cody it is a one joke premise and this is the entire movie it starts out there's nicholas cage as nick cage he is a famous actor who's making too many bad movies which is the truth so he's talking to an agent i want to make a good movie again okay please he does a little bit of overacting you know classic uh, cage being cage okay cool and then all of a sudden, he's got his daughter and his ex-wife, and you go, okay, this is already getting a little cheesy. He wishes he could have a better relationship with his ex with his ex, and with his daughter. And with his daughter, he's too much into Nick Cage stuff. He very famously loves German Expressionism and movies of that era, a movie called The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. So he says to her, like, oh, Dad, why do you want me to watch that movie from, like, the 1920s? He's like, oh, it's yeah. great. It's silent film. And I'm like, oh, okay, so it's being self-referential. I get it. Nick Cage likes this movie. His daughter probably doesn't like this movie. Okay, and she's like, Dad, all you care about is your stuff. Okay, got it. And then he's desperate for a role, so he takes a job, he thinks, just to meet Pedro Pascal, who's actually very funny in the movie, who is this uber Nicolas Cage fan. He goes to this remote island, and now throughout the film, you are peppered with references to leaving Las Vegas and The Rock and adaptation. At one point, there's a double Nick Cage who shows up, and he's the character from Wild at Heart, and of course, we got the two guns from Face Off. I'm like, yeah, I got it. Like, this is all, this is greatest hits of Nicolas Cage. Understood. But that's it. It's a thin premise. It's a premise for like an SNL sketch. Like it's funny for about 10 minutes. And mm. he goes, is this basically the movie? So it's about Nicolas Cage as Nick Cage, the actor, looking back at his work. And then he ends up being in, what a surprise, a Nicolas Cage movie. And all of a sudden he's in <laughs> National Treasure and he has to try to get out of this. And there's an arms dealer and there's bad guys and there's guns and there's running. And it's like, no, no. Even for 108 minutes, which is not very long, very cheesy ending. I was disappointed. I was really excited to see this. I'm giving it two Maple Leafs. What about his? What I've I've read in some reviews that the co-star is is like almost steals the show. Is funnier. Yes. Like this yeah, is a com- the- this is supposed to be a comedy. So was it funny though? It definitely had its moments. I mean, there's been a handful of laughs that I chuckled at. I wouldn't necessarily laugh at a lot, but there's a couple of parts I definitely laughed at. And again, it's tongue-in-cheek, which I appreciate. And, you know, he's spoofing himself. Like, it's it's kind of pointing out the self-absorption of Nicolas Cage. But as a movie, again, I just didn't... I just didn't what about the water. co-star? What about the co-star? The, the co-star was generally funny. I mean, Tom Gormican, by the way, is the director whose work I don't know. But Pedro Pascal is fantastic. He's the right. guy who he goes to the remote island. And Pascal is like the super Cage fan. Like, at one point... 
you know, he's just riffing. He's got all this memorabilia, and he's just, it's just kooky how much he loves Nicholas <laughs> like Cage. Like Mike Ryan. He's, he's like Mike Ryan. He's kind of like Mike Ryan. If Mike Ryan was in this movie, he'd be like, that's him. Like, he's just uber <laughs> Nick Cage fan. I'm curious for, for Mike's review, but I'm sure he'll like it a lot more. But I think, honestly, if you're a big Nicholas Cage fan, you should see it. And I was happy to see him on the big screen in a good movie for a change. Like, this is a guy who's made a lot of direct for the last decade. Again, if you listen to our interview with Keith Phipp, uh, even if you listen to the headlines, you know all about the fact he had real financial issues, bankruptcy, etc. That's why he was just making a lot of bad movies one after another. So this is supposed to be his comeback. And by the way, he was on Kimmel and he was great last week. Wore like a silver suit. Like he looked fantastic. It was like, oh, Nicholas is still in great shape. Like he's going to be pushing 60. Looks great. And Kimmel was funny. I thought he would kind of stick into more movies, but he asked him all the weird stuff. Like, hey man, I got to ask you some stuff about your life. And Kate's like, no, no, I'm here. Let's do it. He's like, this is my first time on a talk show in 12 years. And wow. right away he's like, is it true you had a two-headed snake? <laughs> and Kate's just like, yep, yep, I had a two-headed snake. He's like, you paid like, he goes, yeah, I can't do the Nick Cage impression. He's like, yeah, I went to this cave. I was like, I actually, I want you to, I figured you'd have a decent Nick Cage. You're sneaky good at impressions. I don't know about that. I mean, we've got a couple. You and I do good impressions of other people's impressions. Right. But with Nick Cage, he's like, yeah, I went to this cave and oh. I was mesmerized looking at the snake. And how and decent. I See? Left, it, was, it was kind of like Medusa because there was two oh. heads. You just and need more, a little more from the gut. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, oh, that's something I have to capture in my life. So I paid $20,000 for the snake. And sadly, he died a few years ago, but I feel like there's been a rebirth within my soul. <laughs> like, what the hell is going on? He's talking about, no wonder you lost all your money. You had like $100 million. You paid $20,000 for a two-headed snake? Dude, you're supposed to go broke them. That's not fair. Do you not remember when you grew up middle class? I know he had a rich uncle in Francis Ford Coppola, but come on. It wasn't very funny, though, when he's seeing his performance there on Jimmy Wait, That's his but. uncle? I didn't know that. Yeah, so well, you were listening to the interview. Did, I don't know if I mentioned... I did mention that in the interview, didn't I? Maybe I did. It's okay. If you, were, maybe, maybe, you know, that may be the part that you went to go grab a sandwich. Because at one point, you literally laughed. I go, where's Cody going? I'm like, he hates this interview. And you came back and go, dude, we lunch came. It's a really quick order. I got to grab it when I can. I go, no problem. Let's get that Cubano to go. Yes, Nicholas Cage's uncle is Francis Ford Coppola. Once again, my flex. I just finished watching The Offer, which is all about Francis Ford Coppola making The Godfather. Nicholas Cage does not appear in The Offer, but it would have been cool if he did. But yeah. That's why he changed his name, because originally he was Nicholas Coppola, and he appeared in his uncle's movies, and he goes, this is bullshit, this guy's not a good actor, he's just because of his uncle. Okay, fine, I'll change my name. And he loves Luke Cage, like the Marvel superhero, so that's why he called himself Nick Cage. All right. His real name. <laughs> Anyways, that's the unbearable way to massive town. Let's now get to the old movie. And Should we get the Mitch interview first? Should we do oh, the yeah, interview first? Sure. Let's do a yeah. little Rotten Tomatoes right now. Bam. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom, and a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. 
And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. All right, pleasure now for our special guest, Rotten Tomatoes contributing editor Mark Ellis. He is the site's resident genre and sports expert, which means he's perfect to have here on Cinephile. Mark, a comedian, actor, host, and entertainment savant. He hosts such shows as The Rotten Tomatoes Show and Versus, as well as co-hosting Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong podcast. And Mark, we believe we connected a little while ago here. So this is great to reconnect. Thanks so much for the time here on Cinephile. Yeah, we did the chronology. We did the math. We, uh, we did our little family tree, and we, we did some NBA stuff about a year and a half ago. And so you and I are just kind of uh, crossing over sports and now movies. And it's just a great meeting of, of Adnan and I's Venn diagram. It has all come to this moment right here. <laughs> no question about it. I, I always think there can't be anybody else like me. And then I see you, and I see Ben Lyons. Like, oh, there's some people like us up there, huge sports guys and movie nerds. And yeah, we could, there's obviously, like you said, the Venn diagram that crosses over. Let's start there then with the sports and the TV stuff with Winning Time, which I know you're a big basketball fan. Wake Forest is your alma mater. Yep. Love the Demon Deacons. But as far as um, this show is concerned, it's gotten some controversy, right? Jerry West has publicly said, hey, this is not me. Like, <laughs> like, And I was saying this with Chris. Like, I love Jason Clark, and he's really funny and profane. I think after a while, it kind of wears it a little bit. Like, he's just angry all the time. But I'm like, I, didn't, I don't remember Jerry West being like this. Everything that I've read about the logo, I'm like, maybe I missed this part. The show I'm really enjoying, and I appreciate Adam McKay's style right breaking the fourth wall the film stock I, again kareem is great magic adrian brody and, and john c riley brilliant but what do you make of winning time as a show and as a document because it seems like one is really good and one may not be accurate well, it's funny because as we get deeper and deeper into the season, you think nothing can top the drama that we're watching unfold in the early 80s. Then all of a sudden, here comes Jerry West with a lawsuit <laughs> in 2022. And you're like, this is even better than the show. And, and to echo your sentiment, I am so entertained by the show. It's, it's 84% on the tomato meter. And so the critics and the audiences alike are responding to it. So it's a fresh show from their standpoint. And I think that for big sports honks like you and I, we kind of know who Jerry West is. We we maybe weren't alive when his career was happening, when he actually became the logo, but you look at what he did in his playing career. I mean, he still has the record. I think he's over like 44 points for a playoff series, which is still a record. And then we've yep. seen his, his genius as a GM, but when we see him on TV now, he always seems so mild-mannered and just like this nice old guy who's this basketball savant. And so to see these events play out in the first episode of Winning Time was pretty shocking. I mean, the guy's throwing a trophy through a glass window, but again, you watch <laughs> And you say, okay, this is to illustrate how competitive he is. The drinking is meant to illustrate how strung out he is because he's trying to figure out his next move. While you and I might be able to put that into context, I think Jerry West and his ilk are very upset that the public, this is maybe the first time they're seeing Jerry West at all, and he does not want that image of himself. And so you do have to kind of rectify that. Is it more entertainment? Is it more factual? With Adam McKay, you're always getting a lot of both. Yeah, exactly. And he courts controversy. Listen, he doesn't care. He's going to make vice. You don't like it? Great. This is my version of events of Dick Cheney. And there's always lots of buzz around his films. And uh, I'm with you. I think the winning time has been supremely entertaining. And I've certainly really enjoyed it so far. Okay, summer movie preview. 
Uh, actually, no. You know, let's do everything everywhere all at once. It's just reviewed here on Cinephile. Speaking of Rotten Tomatoes, 97% from critics. I believe 94% audience. I used to always joke with my friend Danny Cannell. He'd say, well, you always look at the critics, and I always look at the audience score. And I go, <laughs> okay. Uh, but generally, it's interesting when they close to lining up. And with this film from the Daniels, starring Michelle Yeoh, off the charts as far as the reviews have been, both from the average person and from the critics. And what a resurgence, uh, not just from this concept of a small film getting word of mouth and getting buzz at the box office, but also for Kihoi Khan, who it was back from, from his appearances as a child actor in movies like Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom and The Goonies. He's in this film, and you can talk about the tomato meter and the audience score, how they're both super fresh. Here's the ultimate compliment I'll give it, and this may be a bit of a hot take for you. It's my favorite multiverse in film right now. And wow. I enjoy the spider people just fine. I am excited to see how mad we get with Doctor Strange and how that leads into Thor Ragnarok. I love that stuff. But I was blown away by the storytelling, by the acting, by the concept. This multiverse got me thinking in a way that even a movie like Spider-Man No Way Home didn't. I love the multiverse in that because it was a fun plot device and it opens up so many more possibilities for the next decade in the MCU. I get that. I'm spoiled. But with this, I was really thinking like this was a reality that could happen in my world. And for the very first time, a movie made me wonder, what are all those other Mark Ellis's doing on <laughs> distant dimensions? Is is there a Mark Ellis that hosts the Cinephile show but is on TV talking about sports? Is there a Mr. Ferk <laughs> who loves movies but is actually hosting movie shows and just casually watches sports? <laughs> yeah, the whole concept of parallel universes, it definitely gets your mind spinning. And any film like that, I think you and I both agree, it's just so in love with movies. Like for everyone who says, well, I don't go to the movies as much, I just stream this and that, which is fine. I get it. You know, we got kids, other responsibilities. That's a film you have to see in the theater. And if you love movies, you're watching this thing. This is clearly people who love movies. This is a contagious feeling watching this because they're just in love with the art form and the challenges. And it doesn't always work. At times, it's excessive and kind of spinning out of control and exhausting because it's two hours and 12 minutes. But the sheer audacity, Mark, like I hope the Oscars still remembers it. It's tough for April releases, but I hope year-end critics will still pump up the movie. Yeah, I always go back to like the reason why I started movie reviews and why I fell in love with that art form is I go back to my days of mowing lawns in the summer and saving up enough money to go see a couple movies in the theater that I really wanted to see. So I give myself five to six movies a year that I'm like, okay, that is what I'm going to tell everybody you have to go see. I've used that card a lot already this year because I feel like everything, any, everything everywhere all at once has got to be something you see in a theater. Ambulance is way up there. That's a, that's a movie that's it's a Michael Bay movie flying under the radar. It's a great yeah. theater watch. And how about the movie that I am spoiled and I'm just going to rub this in your face real quick. It comes out in late May. We'll talk about it then. Top Tomorrow, Gun. as of the recording of this show. By the time it's released, I will have already seen Top Gun Maverick. So I'm putting a lot of stuff out there that you need to see in theaters already, and we have not even hit our June slate yet. Um, that dovetails into the summer movie preview we'll do in a second. But first, Chris, a good point. Which movies have famously had the widest gaps between critic and audience scores? Is there a couple that you can think of off the top? And this is why we do the show Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong, because we get to sort of pick a bone with our friend the tomato meter. So here's one for you. Man on Fire. Yeah. The Denzel Washington, I would say classic, directed by the legend uh, Tony Scott. Tony Scott. This, this movie is in the 30 percentile on the tomato meter. Wow. And it is 86%, I believe, on the audience score. So that's a 50% <laughs> 
gap because Ooh. critics saw this and they saw one movie and audiences were like, I don't know what they're thinking. I love what's happening with this film. And I think that as we look back on it sometimes, and we can Monday morning quarterback it, I think that a lot of the sentiment is leaning towards the audience score with Man on Fire. It's funny, when you said, I thought you were going to say Man on Wire, which was the great documentary, which I love, which I know has a high ranking on Rotten Tomatoes, the documentary about Philippe Petit, that won the Oscar, and I was like, there's no way Man on Wire was not loved by people. Like, that's like 97% Rotten Tomatoes. The Walk, yes. though, the movie, the movie that Zemeckis did yes. based on that. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. It, it wasn't as well received, and it didn't do much at the box office, but I thought it was enthralling. And, and you know, it, now that we're talking about it, let's stick with Tony Scott for a second. The original mm -hmm. Top Gun from 86, 57% on the tomato wow. meter, and I believe it's an 83% with the audience score, so that's a big discrepancy as well. Is it still the case that Paddington 2 has the best rating on Rotten Tomatoes ahead of Citizen Kane? Paddington is ahead of uh, Citizen Kane. Paddington 2 is, as are the, the, to the first three excuse me, the first two Toy Story movies are still 100%, and then Toy Story 3 fell off a cliff all the way down to 98%, and then <laughs> Toy Story 4 is hanging in at 97%. So it's not often that if you do a Pixar Olympics and you're 97% of the tomato meter, you ain't even getting the bronze medal. That's how good those movies are. It's wild. Yeah, wow. Rosebud, taking it on the chin. Uh, all right, let's look at the summer movies, and you mentioned Top Gun. You got Doctor Strange coming up. What are reasons where people should be running back to the theater? What are the big summer movies to look forward to? Well, we'll start with that Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness because it's directed by a comic book movie OG, Sam Raimi, who steps mm. in for Scott Derrickson. What I loved about Scott Derrickson and the original Doctor Strange was Derrickson comes from a horror movie background. This is the guy that did Sinister, and you felt some of those thriller elements in the first Strange. And I think a guy like Sam Raimi, who's known for Evil Dead and Spider-Man, who better to direct a movie like this where I think it is not an overstatement to say everyone should be rushing to the theaters to see Doctor Strange because I believe the MCU is looking at Doctor Strange in particular as a character as the next sort of linchpin of their universe because Tony Stark's gone, Captain America's gone, unless there's some sort of freak thing that happens with the multiverse slash Robert Downey Jr. Chris Evans's contract I don't think that they're coming back in a big way for the next decade so I think that Doctor Strange and then another movie we're going to talk about that comes out in July are probably the two most important movies to set the foundation for the next decade of the Marvel Cinematic Universe well that's huge is the other film Thor Love and Thunder it certainly might be, yeah, I, because, because you, you got to see where do we go from the events of Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, and also Thor Love and Thunder has a big leaning on the Guardians of the Galaxy, and so there's a lot that's going to be happening this summer in Marvel terms. Movie I can't wait to see in June is the Elvis biopic, Baz Luhrmann, who I, my wife loves Moulin Rouge, and you got you know Tom Hanks playing the Colonel. Big, splashy trailer. I mean, this could be one of those Oscar bait type movies, or it could be a huge epic disaster. I, I'm trending towards it's going to be a big hit. What do you think about how Elvis could captivate fans this June? Isn't it crazy that, that Elvis, after all these years and decades, has a movie coming out this summer, and we're pumped for it. I mean, like you said, Boz Lerman, he's, he's famous for doing the, the Chicago's of the world. I mean, it's 76% on the tomato meter for that one. He's had a couple slight misfires with something like Australia. Australia, yeah. But, 
You know, he also did Strictly Ballroom, which is a movie we don't talk about enough. And so his eye for directing and for putting together musical performances and melding that with dramatic dialogue is second to none. And with Tom Hanks as Colonel Tom Parker, everybody knows Tom Hanks is not only a huge Elvis freak, but he also yes. just loves that time period. Go back and rewatch that thing you do, which he directed yes. and co-stars in. He doesn't just show up to perform in these movies. He cares about them deeply. And so I think you're going to see that come through in this film. I hope they don't pull any punches. I hope we get to see a nice swath of Elvis's career because my dad always told me as great as it was when Elvis hit, his comeback special in 60 in the late 60s is not talked about enough because Elvis was sort of a dinosaur already by then. He had the comeback special and everybody remembered just how much they loved Elvis. Skinny Elvis and fat Elvis. Everyone always has a pick which one they like a little bit more, but definitely liked his peanut butter or peanut banana sandwiches. And, uh, and you're right about Hanks. That thing you do, of course, was directorial debut. Much better than Larry Crown when Hanks did that. It was just not I would not give you great. that and for the simple reason that I don't remember his manager in that thing you do zooming around on a moped. I think that maybe the, <laughs> the Vespa might have taken Larry. Let's hope we don't see the king on a Vespa. Oh. <laughs> like when you hear, you go, hey, Tom Hanks directing a film with Julia Roberts. Oh, he stars it too. Awful. I mean, that's going to be 30% Rotten Tomatoes, Larry it, Crown. Did, it did is a rotten well. movie on, on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. And Tom Hanks and Julia don't have many of them, but that would be one yeah. of them. Moon Knight is a show that a friend of mine, Rick Pastor, has been pushing me to watch. And I said, all right, I'm definitely intrigued by Oscar Isaac and the great Ethan Hawke. What do you think about Moon Knight, specifically how it's pushing modern blockbuster filmmaking here on Disney Plus? It really is. And with each new episode, it's like you get a different tone. You get uh, sometimes a different genre. And so to see Oscar Isaac, who is a guy I've been a huge fan of him, even before he went into my favorite franchise, Star Wars. I, th I just thought Oscar Isaac was one of these guys who could do anything. He can do big blockbusters. He also you've seen a, a most violent year he can just be dark and brooding and feel like uh, like the next Pacino and so when yeah. he takes on a property that is in a comic book universe and when Ethan Hawke for that matter takes this on you know that it's material that they feel like they can get a lot out of that they can chew a lot of this stuff and that's what they're doing right now so some of the storytelling as sometimes happens with these streaming shows, it, we're so <laughs> spoiled by binging that we see it and we're like, oh, I don't know where this is going and we have a week to debate it. And so I just let everybody, let's just see how the rest of, of these sort of series play out and how they tie into the cinematic universe because I think Moon Knight, it may be primed for a cameo in an upcoming MCU film. You, you just, you never know what you're going to get, especially now that the multiverse is wide open. And you're all over the place, Mark. The Athletic, you wrote an article, White Man Can't Jump, 30 years later remains a classic but in different ways than I once thought. I haven't seen it in a while. I was amused to see them reuniting at the Oscars. Nice to see Woody Harrelson and Wesley Snipes there. What did you learn from re-watching White Men Can't Jump? You know, I the, the title should have taught me this a long time ago, but now that I'm just in my 40s, I realize that the movie's about accepting your limitations. Because when I was a kid watching it, all I wanted to do was look like Sidney Dean and Billy Hoyle. So I would look for the the side-eyed hat and the parental advisory explicit lyric shirt and I would want to play basketball like they did I would want to hustle I'd want to do two-on-two two. and I played basketball my entire life I still play way too much and now upon rewatching it it's less the basketball that speaks to me and it's more the attitude that Sydney and Billy approach life with that they're sort of living for the moment whereas you have Gloria played by the wonderful Rosie Perez who's only grown on me in that role as time has gone on because she really is the big plot of it's not basketball it's these two guys figuring out 
how they can maintain a relationship, how they can hold a job, how they can make not just a gig that's day to day, but a career for themselves. And so when Sydney says, listen to the woman, that speaks so many more volumes to me now than it did when I was a kid who had yet to experience his first girlfriend when I saw it in the movie. I was way too young to see it in the theaters, but you know, back then the theaters were a little lenient as far as letting kids sneak into stuff. That was one of my formative experiences as a, I guess I was 11 years old when I saw it. Weigh it on a, a recent debate I was having when we were having on another show I work on, calling offensive fouls in pickup basketball. No go, right? Never. It's it, You really can't call a charge. I, I know there's there's screams of travel in, in the show, and then there's a couple charges that you could have called, but especially given the tenor of the NBA officiating in the playoffs yeah. thus far, I think maybe everybody could do well to just swallow their whistle occasionally. On the hardwood in front of millions of fans or – on the playground just it, no blood no foul it still yeah. holds true to this day mark gets it he gets it i still remember rosie perez at one point she's upset she's chastising woody harrelson with the love making you know she doesn't like when he says let's screw how it's not a very attractive <laughs> thing to say <laughs> that's what still surfaces in my mind i will never make the mistakes let's screw yeah there's very um, few notes i take about relationships but you know you write some stuff down when you watch white men can't jump it's like i should probably brush up on foods that start with the letter q and never say screw there's two other terms i can use but school yes. is not one of them. <laughs> yeah, she tells him what he can't say. That will actually get things yeah. going a little bit better. How cool is it, Mark? Just big picture. You know, when we were growing up, it was always Siskel and Ever give it two thumbs up. And now it's what does Rotten Tomatoes say? Like, how cool is it that Rotten Tomatoes is the arbiter? And I know it's criticized at times. People go, like, oh, God, everyone just looks at the tomato meter. That tomato meter is a little higher than I would have thought. They give everything good reviews, which is the same criticism Siskel and Ebert faced. Oh, by the end, two thumbs up for everything. Look who's talking is getting two thumbs up. Are you kidding? But <laughs> how about the fact it literally is. The, the go-to jargon. If you're a movie person, you say right away, what's on Rotten Tomatoes? What did it get on Rotten Tomatoes? How cool is that? I, I think it's great because it shows that we're taking uh, into account a lot of opinions as opposed to just two movie critics from Chicago. And look, I grew up watching the Siskel and Ebert show. That's really the template for my show Schmoes Know that Christian Harloff and I created over 10 years ago now. We wanted to be like the modern day Siskel and Ebert. We wanted to be two regular guys talking about this stuff. And now with the advent of Rotten Tomatoes, again, that tomato meter score, some people get mad at it because they feel like behind Rotten Tomatoes is just one wizard that is writing these numbers as to how they feel about the movie that's not the case it's an aggregate of hundreds if not thousands of critics from all over the world that are all basically saying whether a movie's fresh or rotten and so when you see a 100 percent for toy story that's not necessarily every critic saying this movie is a 10 out of 10 that's every critic saying that this is at least a fresh film it's at least a six out of ten or it's at least a three out of five so that's what that indicates and so i love that we have this scoreboard to look at because look you go back to white men can't jump and what it taught us about relationships in a relationship don't doesn't every guy just want a scoreboard don't we just want to know where we stand we want to know how how much we're trailing by rotten tomatoes is just a scoreboard it's like it's like going outside and feeling the weather so if i want to go for a run and i go outside and it's 75 degrees i can easily go for a run if i go outside and it's like 50 and it's cold i can still go for a run but i might not enjoy it as much so it's just an, an, an indicator as to how other people feel about a movie but i stress this all the time in the modern day of social media have confidence in your own opinion if you don't agree with what the tomato meter score is that's okay that's why we have a show called rotten tomatoes is wrong everybody <laughs> has the freedom to form their own opinion about a movie and i appreciate every aspect of that 
Yeah, the key for me is you see the number, but then you go check. And I go right away with the top critics. I don't want to see the other critics. I go top critics right away. And then <laughs> you I, just I go, go look go, for Ty Burr. Shut exactly. up. Well, that's, that's what I wanted to say. I, I go check the top critics and my favorite critics, Ty Burr, Owen Gleiberman, Manola Dargis, Peter Howell. Of course, Toronto guy for Pete. Uh, who are some of your favorite critics? Is there still many to look at? Oh, I uh, I love uh, Claudia Pugh from uh, from USA Today. She yes. did a lot of great work on USA Today for years, and I finally had the opportunity to be on a panel with Claudia in New York at Comic Con, and it was just it was like meeting one of your heroes because you know back in the day I, I'm I'm a comic, I'm on the road a lot, and I love staying at hotels where you get that free USA Today. Oh ah, man, yeah. what a morning that makes! And so I would always <laughs> go to her movie reviews first, and so it felt like I was meeting a friend that I'd known half my life, but I was just now shaking the hand of. So that was a really cool yeah. moment for me. Now, you know, it's like Entertainment Week. They used to have like six critics they would put and they would mm -hmm. put their letter grade. And Claudia Pugh was one of them, along with Carrie Ricky. And then of course, they had Schwartzbaum, Glaberman. But it was hilarious. Owen, when you yeah. say Claudia Pugh, that's one of the first things that I think. I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember seeing her was like one of the vaunted six critics that would give her letter grade from USA Today. Yeah. And uh, the great thing about her movie reviews is that she never gave away spoilers. She had an in-depth take on the movie, but it never. Uh, sometimes I see movie reviews and I won't out anybody here, but it really bothers me when a, a critic gets that in-depth with the plot because I don't need to know all that stuff. It, it, the, the mark of a great critic to me is telling me how you feel about a movie without telling me what I'm going to see in the movie. Yeah, I could definitely work on that. Uh, Mark Ellis, where can you plug all your stuff? <laughs> we get very excited. Um, oh, wait, you want me to – are we plugging now? Yeah, you're plugging now. Oh, Unless you man. want to plug for you. Yeah. I'm just I, I could do this all day. I'm like Captain America. I'm just a boy from Brooklyn. <laughs> I could do this all day. Uh, the social media is at Mark Ellis Live. Obviously, the podcast is Rotten Tomatoes is wrong. And on Peacock, you can check out my show Versus, where I take two properties or two actors, two performers, and I pit them against each other to celebrate their career. <laughs> We've done everything from Robocop versus Terminator to Tom Hanks versus Denzel Washington. I don't even remember who I picked in that one, but it was a good battle and it went down to the wire. That's a great battle of verses. And lastly, yeah. how can I get on Rotten Tomatoes? I mean, seriously, there's like 500 critics on there. <laughs> can you just put in a word? I know you don't run the site, but can you just put in a word for your boy? Like, hey, can we just take a look? Can we put Burke's submission on, on a, you know, a list? I know people who know people, who may have some sort of lock and key. It's like the skulls, man. No, it really isn't that clandestine. I'm going to put in a good word for you because right. that's actually how I got certified on Rotten Tomatoes is at the time I was doing a podcast and my buddy Christian asked the head of Rotten Tomatoes or one of the creatives at Rotten Tomatoes who we were interviewing, hey, I know we just do YouTube and not written reviews. Can we get on Rotten Tomatoes? So we kind of put them on the spot, but we got it and we were the first YouTube critics to be certified on Rotten Tomatoes. So we've opened the door for you, my friend. Go <laughs> Go ahead and consider it done, and we'll be in touch. Yes. Oh, I love it, dude. This is a massive day, man. You have no Mark idea Ellis. how much he's been. He's been working this. He's been trying oh to get this for so long. Oh my God, the Christmas came early thanks to Mark Ellis, my guy. I mean, you, we're gonna go watch White Men Can't Jump together. Go ahead. You Chris. mentioned you mentioned stand up. I'm just curious. I like always like to ask can't comedians this. Like, what is like your like uh, you know biggest flop moment on stage? Like like a moment where it was like, oh no, this is not going well. As I as I cycle through the thousands of times that that's yeah. happened in my career, my, my my worst performance, or I guess my toughest gig, was not on a stage. It was actually on a bus that was moving from Los Angeles to Prim, Nevada, full of LAPD's finest police officers. Oh, God. It was a gig that I booked because they called into the comedy store. They needed somebody to entertain. Everybody thinks they want a comedian for every party, and it doesn't always work. I'm on the PA for four hours either doing crowd work or doing material and i'm a young comic at this time because i would say no to that now i'm giving away i'm raffling stuff but you know what 
we all realized that we're all in this, we're all literally on this bus together. And everybody warmed up to me, except for in the way back of the bus, there were four narcotics officers that were just <laughs> mad, mean mugging me the whole time. I wasn't on any substances, but they did not trust me on the ride there or on the ride back. But we actually got to Prim Nevada. We did two nights there. I popped up on stage at the local comedy club there. All the police officers came. We we sang and danced the night away after that, and it ended up being a really rewarding experience. So whatever situation you're in in stand-up, public speaking, in life, just embrace it, and good things will happen. You got golden pipes too, man. Listen, with a voice like that, <laughs> yeah, you, you knew you were going to be a voice. broadcaster. <laughs> yeah. Coming out of the womb, Mark Callis was like, all right, where should I go, guys? I'm ready to go. I can... Uh Knock out the top 40 for you right now. Rick yeah, Dees, but it's Mark the, Ellis. It's, I have the, the announcer radio DJ curse where people hear my voice, and if they hear the voice first, then they meet me. They're like, that comes out of you? <laughs> <laughs> no way. No way. It's always about the big voice more than anything. Mark Ellis, obviously a great guy. He's got tons of awesome opinions on movies. Make sure you check out his shows on Rotten Tomatoes and on Peacock. I want to go see that versus now. Hanks versus Denzel. That sounds awesome. You're the best, Mark. I appreciate it, man. I appreciate you, bud. We'll be in touch soon, all right? All right, thanks once again to our special guests. They're talking about uh, all things Rotten Tomatoes. A couple of reviews I did want to mention, by the way. Jake Wilson of The Age on the unbearable weight of massive talent. This traditional comic pairing proves to be the film's main attraction. And for all of Cage's showboating, Pascal for quite a while looks set to take over as the real star. Back to your point earlier about him being sane stealing. And James Berardinelli of Real Views. It's a painless diversion, no more, no less, that gets an injection of energy from the lead actor's willingness to not take himself too seriously. Once again, that is the unbearable weight of massive talent. Now let's talk about high anxiety, our old film this week. A psychiatrist with intense acrophobia, fear of heights, goes to work for a mental institution run by doctors who appear to be crazier than their patients and have secrets that they are willing to commit murder to keep. Hopefully when we get appetite, I want to ask about the fact that a lot of these comics and comedians, you feel like today, you know, people get mad, they go, ah, oh, it's too woke, you can't say anything anymore. You can't, you, people are so offended. I often think, what would Mel Brooks do today? I don't think Mel Brooks could exist today. Blazing Saddles is incredibly funny, but it's also incredibly offensive. And then you watch a film like High Anxiety, and like five minutes in the movie, there's a guy who's a cop, takes him in the bathroom, and just rips yeah. his clothes off. He's, he's trying to, I'm like, you, you couldn't do this today. Like, this is, this is too overly sexual. That opening scene of this movie was so good. I thought it was going to be the entire movie. I thought that that's what this movie was. Since it's called High Anxiety, I thought right. literally it was going to be him going through his entire life <laughs> with a bunch of just things that seemed anxiety, like anxious right. and then weren't. It was just the no, lady screaming at him, the, the way the escalator, the way he gets off of it. Like it was yeah. just it's so good. Yeah. Great humor out of the gate. And then eventually, you know, he ends up going to this institution. And Chris already mentioned off the top, I mean, the single best part of this movie, I, I was howling. Barry Levinson, the great director. Barry Levinson won an Academy Award for Rain Man. You know, his films, obviously, like Diner and Avalon. Uh, more recently, did the Paterno biopic with Pacino. He plays a guy in the hotel who has to deliver newspapers. Yeah. And, you know, Mel Brooks is asking for the newspaper. And then eventually... Mel Brooks in the shower. And as Cody said, it's a reference to Psycho, very, very famous shower scene where Janet Lee gets stabbed. And Barry Levinson's walking with a newspaper and they cut it just like Psycho, except he's like smashing the guy with the newspaper. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. He leaves in a huff and then the, that perfect shot of the water swirling into the drain, again, just like Hitchcock, and you see Mel Brooks collapse half dead, looks over and says, no tip for that guy. <laughs> <laughs> It was really good. It was so really good. Funny. And uh, the bird and the birds reference where he's getting shit on. <laughs> the birds reference is great. 
<laughs> are those the only two Alfred Hitchcock references? Because like I, those are the only ones I caught. There was one to Rear Window as well. Uh, of course, the great Jimmy Stewart movie. There was one to, to Notorious at one point, Cary Grant movie. But I got to be honest, overall, I, I didn't think it was great. I mean, it, it had some notable moments. But as far as Mel Brooks movies, say, I, I would say probably two and a half Maple Leafs. Uh, by the way, I'm giving unbearable weight of massive, massive talent to Maple Leafs. I'll give Hanging Steady two and a half Maple Leafs. If you like Hitchcock, if you like Mel Brooks, if you're a completist of all his films, then I think you'll want to see it. But it's, overall, amusing, right? It wasn't great, but it was amusing. Exactly. It was a perfect movie to watch while doing other things. Yes. Like you have it on. There's some fun. Like there's some individual funny scenes. Like he's. You can just tell Mel Brooks is good at being yes. funny. Mm-hmm. But the plot and like what you're following, it's it's pretty easy to, to fade out on that part of it. Yeah, I like at one point, I, at one point, I think I zoned out for five minutes, and I was just like, I miss. Uh, it's, it doesn't matter. I was like, <laughs> should I go back? I was like, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the first thirty minutes, I'm with you. Like, I think it started out gangbusters. Yeah, it's just kind of fading. You're right. Then I was on my phone. I'm checking Twitter. Yeah. I'm looking at IG. I'm like, okay, I don't really care anymore. The one thing uh, that they that happened in it, well, there was a scene with brandy. Like back in the day, like an old timey thing to do is after dinner, let's go have some brandy. And like, I just that's just that's is that before your time? Have you ever like been at a no, dinner where afterwards? Before. Everyone's like brandy. Like you want some brandy? Yeah, I think it's like '60s, '70s, right? It's before my time, I couldn't see anyone go. Let's pick up some brandy. There's no way. Yeah, yeah. But you're right. Uh, it was definitely specific of that time. Yeah. Uh, Roger Ebert, Chicago Sun Times. One of the problems with Mel Brooks is high anxiety. Is that it picks a tricky target. It's a spoof of the work of Alfred Hitchcock, but Hitchcock's films are often funny themselves. Jolie Herman of Common Sense Media, very, very funny Hitchcock spoof with some adult humor, I'll say. And Jason Shawhan, Mel Brooks during his peak years never met a genre he couldn't wrestle to the ground. And High Anxiety, his 1977 tribute to the films of Alfred Hitchcock, is a masterpiece of characterization, design, and execution. So, like, that's an outrageous review. Yeah. Right? Like, masterpiece? Like, that's what? an outrageous review. Like, we, we, we did not watch the same movie. Like, dude, like, I love the guy. He's Seriously. That guy gets paid to give movie reviews right there. Absolutely. He's being paid by the studio. He's what is known as a blur whore. <laughs> a blur. Uh, yeah, exactly. Thank you so much to Mark Ellis, our special guest, and uh, go check out The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. If you're a big Nick Cage fan, go check out High Anxiety. I saw it on TCM. Where did Chris see it? Streaming service? HBO Max. Yeah, HBO, HBO Max. Max. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Uh, lots of great stuff coming up down the pipe. Next, we're going to talk about The North Man, which has a killer cast. Alexander Skarsgård, Nicole Kidman, Willem Dafoe, Ethan Hawke. It's directed by Robert Eggers. It's all about Vikings from the 10th century. Apparently, it's super violent. I uh, cannot wait to go check that out. The North Man next week. Old film will be Spike Lee's school days. Old movie from Spike and again we got great guests coming up author next week four authors in five weeks George Stevens Jr but then after that Judd Apatow and a pretty big name from Top Gun that's yes. all I will say for now and I will see you at the movies